0: so if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. Uh, around you, there should be a, a black Bible. And if you don't own a Bible, please take that Bible as a gift from us here at Mission to you. Uh, if you do not bring a Bible, then please feel free to follow along with us as we read um, God's Word. It says this, verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, and my aim in life my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured yet from them all that the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on, from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, again, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to come before you. Lord, we pray that you would be exalted in all that is said and all that is heard in this place today. May you be made much of. Lord Jesus, may you truly be enough Lord Jesus, may You truly save the lost, Lord Jesus, and God, and, and may we, before Your very throne this morning, um, understand the depths of Your work and Your mercy in our lives. So, Lord, we pray that You would humble the hardened heart, that You bring humility to both uh, me as I preach and also to those that listen. Lord, that You would do a great and mighty work. A work that can only be done by the very hand and power of an almighty God. Speak, do, work, live, God. Create within us a heart that is is completely in love with You above everything else. Lord, we thank You, Jesus, and we trust Your holy name. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, inside the book of 2 Timothy, um, we've been seeing that there's this church that is in the city of Ephesus, that there's this young pastor there named Timothy who is trying to lead these folks, who's trying to shepherd these folks, guide them, love on them, take care of them. Um, but within inside of the church, there is now an enormous conflict taking place. As there have been those who are false teachers, who are leading people astray, who are slandering, who are causing disunity and divisiveness within the church. And uh, we would often think that these people would have uh, zero followers, but we're seeing inside of this church that they have many followers, that many have shipwrecked their faith, that they have wandered to and fro. Um, and being led that way by these false teachers. And so this young pastor has become probably somewhat discouraged in trying to figure out how to handle these conflicts within his church. And so Paul has been writing him, and he reminds him as we covered last week in, in the, the first few verses of chapter 3, that there are ungodly people within the church that are masking arraying around like godly folk. And because of that, it's, again, leading people astray, and, and yet these are ungodly examples. And we learned last week over and over again that we are not to follow ungodly examples, and yet Paul's going to continue that train of thinking this morning with the idea of not following ungodly examples, but to remind you and I and to remind Timothy to follow good examples to follow godly examples to follow christ-like examples and so as we saw as i read the text earlier in verse 10 it says you however have followed my teaching so this is in contract to those who were following after the false teachers following after those who again would cause divisiveness and division who would gossip and cause Fighting within the church that these people, again, that they had the appearance of godliness. And yet they are ungodly. And so Paul is reminding it, this young Timothy, this pastor Timothy, hey, but you, you don't follow ungodly examples. You, you remember. Remember what you have done up until this point And continue to do that. You have followed me. You have followed my example. Now this idea of following another person, especially a godly person, doesn't originate with the pastor Paul. It actually originates with Jesus. Inside the Gospel of Matthew, if you have a Bible, you can turn back with me. If you turn left in your Bible, you'll find the Gospel of Matthew. It's the first gospel found inside of our New Testaments. Inside the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus starts his ministry. And in starting his ministry, he's he's walking to and fro, and he begins to call people, call men specifically in this case, to be his disciples. And so in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, beginning in verse 18, it says this. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And Matthew, if you've ever read the Gospel of Matthew, loves this word, immediately. He says it like over and over and over and over again. He loves to use that word, kind of like me, when I say essentially, or the reality is. Matthew says, immediately. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And what's he say? Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. This idea of fellowship was, was something that, that Jesus was all about, That he was literally just walking by the lake and in his sovereign plan and in his authority knew before the foundations of the earth exactly where he would be, where those young men would be, and that he would call those young men to follow him. Now we can often lose the significance of the seriousness of the calling of those first disciples. See, up until Jesus, uh, young men, specifically young Jewish men, they wanted to grow up to be rabbis. They wanted to grow up to be teachers. This was a, a position of, of high respect within Judaism. And so they would often go to a rabbi that they wanted to be like, that they wanted to follow after. And they would go to that rabbi and they would plead with that rabbi to say, you know, can I, can I follow after you? Can I be one of your disciples? At the series of tests, if if that rabbi believed that those disciples were were good enough and that they were smart enough and that they could follow after him faithfully, then they would invite them to do so. And yet, that's not the scene that we see here with Jesus and the disciples, do we? These are fishermen. They're hanging out with their dad. They're probably under the age of 21. They're hanging out, doing labor, meaning... Guess what? They weren't good enough or smart enough to be disciples by the other rabbis. And yet, Jesus walking along picks those who weren't good enough, who weren't smart enough, who weren't chosen, and chooses the most unlikely of candidates and then hands them the keys to his kingdom. Similarly, it'd be to you like walking down the street or close to one of our Walmarts, seeing a homeless person whom you do not know, and handing them the keys, them your keys to your house and to your car. And yet this is what we see Jesus doing. See, to follow Jesus was not a one-time agreement to do so. It transformed every single way of your life. I mean, think about it. What did, Jesus, what did it say that these men did when Jesus called them? Again, they immediately, they dropped what they were doing and started following after Jesus. Like, like the boys didn't go home with daddy that day to mama, mama Zebedee, right? They, they left what they were doing to pursue after Jesus, Following Jesus, again, it just wasn't this um, one-time expression of faith and fellowship. But no, it wasn't compartmentalized. It was their entire life. And I believe that we're starting to miss that within our culture and probably have been missing it for quite some time. See, Jesus laid out a pattern that was, has easily, easily been misplaced in modern Christianity. Jesus was not just simply saying, hey, come on, I'll give you directions, follow after me. But, but Jesus was saying to these young men, he was saying, no, um, you come with me, but, but you can be like me, imitate me. Do what I do, say what I say, but even more so, have the affections that I have for certain things. I want you to also have those same affections. See, in following Jesus, one would become like Jesus. We see this illustrated in the Gospels. We see Jesus, it's storming, right, and the disciples are out on the water and they're in the ship. And Jesus comes walking by and woo, they think it's a spook, right? They think it's a ghost. They begin to freak out. Jesus begins to walk out on the water. And yet he looks at Peter in that story and what does he say? Come on out here. Come on out here. And, and what happens? He begins to walk on water see jesus is saying follow me I, I can walk on water and guess guess what what you can do if, if i so will it you you can walk on water as well he he says to these disciples hey 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 disciples you follow after me see i can heal and guess what you can do you can heal in my name and that's what they go and do he they watch him as he cast out demons in his name and What what do they go do? They go cast out demons. They they watch and listen to Jesus teach and pray and care. And then what does Jesus do? He sends them out to go teach and pray and care for people. See, following Jesus is is not just this idea of intellectual assent, but it's this idea that everything about us is, is by a means of reflecting the person and work of Jesus. Jesus is saying, when I leave here, as he told them in the Gospels, and this is the Eric Standard Version, the paraphrase here, is, is that, hey, I'm going to prepare a place for you. But guess what? When I go to prepare this place, there will be all of these little reflections of me all over the globe called Christians. Jesus even looks at his followers and says, you will do much more than I have. Why? Because these little Christs, these little Christians, that they, their responsibility in following them is to imitate Christ so much on the planet, it is as though Jesus has not left. There are all these shadows of Christ, these reflections of Christ. And so he tells them before he ascends to do what? Now, now go then. As I have made disciples of you then, you go make disciples of the nations, teaching them everything I have taught you. This is what it means to follow Jesus. See, brothers and sisters, within our culture, we have become a culture about addition. Even spiritual addition. How do we determine success even within the life of the churches? Is how many people are in attendance? Right? We'll get really excited about people being dunked into baptistry and we'll hoop and holler and shout, and yet we're never the one baptizing. And we'll get exuberant. About hearing about so and so who shared the gospel with a coworker or a neighbor, man, we'll weep hearing that story. But yet, it's never us who is who's the one telling the story about how God used them to lead someone to the person and work of Jesus. See, one is spiritual addition, and we get really excited about that. But the scripture is about spiritual multiplication. It's about multiplying. This is what Jesus is about. He's about making disciples that make disciples that make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. disciples. Like Jesus created the true and better, the right pyramid scheme. Where it flows out, it, it multiplies, it compounds upon itself. With Jesus at the center of it. This is his means by which he spreads the gospel throughout all of the planet. This is what it means to follow after Jesus is to make disciples, to sound like Jesus, to speak like Jesus, to be about the glory of God like Jesus, to lead our homes like Jesus, to work like Jesus, to parent like Jesus, that man, that in some way that when people look upon us, that they, they see and are humbled by our good works and not glorify man, but what does the scripture say? Give praise and glory to God. That's the goal. And yet somewhere along the way it shifted. Especially here in America. My friends that have lived on the mission field, it's it's very different. But somewhere in America it's become this idea that that none of that's for other people. That disciple-making, that's, that's for the pastors, that's for the professionals, right? That's for, for people who go to seminary or Bible school, right? That's for people who work for Campus Crusade for Christ or some campus ministry. Those people, they make disciples while the rest of us get to kind of sit back, relax, and rejoice at everyone else being obedient, and that we've become comfortable with that mentality. Some 30 years before Paul writes Timothy, this was the instruction manual passed down from Jesus. And this is what we're seeing in whose lives? Paul's and Timothy's. This is how I want to illustrate it. And 30 years later in A Man Named Paul and Timothy we're seeing that example we're seeing the process and ma'am don't we love to get fancy don't we like to try to give it new nuances don't we like to try to make it into something that it's it's more palatable and and pretty and yet the example that we see is, is, is one of, of dedication in life, of following Jesus, Paul followed Jesus, Timothy follows Paul, and Paul follows Jesus. And so Timothy, in essence, because of, of Paul's such godly, gospel-centered, Jesus-loving example, guess what, that he's following Jesus because he's following after a godly example in the person and work of paul now does this mean that paul is perfect no right we don't get a lot of glimpses into paul's struggles inside of the scripture but but we 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 know those things no one is trying to get us to worship paul here today but it is simply the means by which jesus created for spiritual multiplication to take place, that you don't need to follow ungodly examples, but that you do need to follow godly examples. And what a measure of grace to you and I, since Jesus is preparing a place for us, and yes, the Holy Spirit is present and resting inside of us. But what a, I need to like touch, taste, feel kind of learner. Anybody else? I want my hands on it. And what a measure of grace by God not just zapping away Jesus and and not leaving us any human, physical examples of what this means. Because I hope by the end of this, as I share some stories in my own life, that, that you will see and that you can also rejoice this moment that you have seen tangible examples of godly people living before you and how that stirs you and I toward godliness. Isn't God good to us that He would do that? I'm so thankful for His Word, but I'm also thankful that He just didn't give us a book, right? And that's not the lesson the Word of God. All right, we still Mission Church. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like we love the Word of God, but the Word of God is not God, right? And so I'm so thankful that He has not just left us without example, but continues to give us example, 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 example. In 2 Timothy chapter, 10, or chapter 3, verses 10 through 11, read back with me to remind ourselves. Um, you follow my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, uh, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all uh, the Lord rescued me. Listen to the things that Timothy followed from Paul. He followed his teaching, he followed his conduct, he followed his aim, his faith, his patience, his steadfastness, and in his suffering. See, people in Timothy's church had been led astray by false teachers who prayed on the weak and slandered the name of the faithful. And by grace, by grace, Timothy has come so far. And yet so much is coming against him. And he has to be reminded, remember the pattern I showed you. Remember the pattern I showed you. And then continued on. You you followed me, Timothy, and you saw what I did by God's grace. Guess what, Timothy? You can do it too. You can do this. You can be faithful to Jesus. I've given you a pattern. I've given you what you need because Jesus has given it to me. You can be like me because I am like Christ. And if we know anything about godly people, they can say things like that and then not be arrogant. Because the more you're around them, you more, the more you begin to realize that they really are just more like Jesus. Jesus. We have this interesting situation that happens in the church at Corinth. Right? This is the church gone wild. And in Corinth, Paul longs to go back to Corinth because it is a mess of a church. Absolute crazy. All right? And in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15 through 18, it says For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have any fathers for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel I urge you be then be imitators of me that is why I sent you Timothy my beloved and faithful child in the Lord to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in their chur- in the church notice what he does there Paul he he is kept from going back to Corinth to solve all the problems and so what does he do he sends Timothy and, it, and he has so much confidence of Jesus that is resting inside of Timothy that he knows that if he sends Timothy, it's just as good if Timothy is, it's just, it would be just as good if, if Paul was there himself. By them watching Timothy, what are they going to be reminded of? They're going to be reminded of Paul's teaching and ways of life, which is in reflection, direct reflection of what? Of Jesus' way in life. such a great little passage there why did paul send timothy because timothy could illustrate the gospel pattern paul had shown him if timothy's there paul is there right if you're there is jesus there you're there is Jesus there is it palatable that Jesus is presence because you're present there and your affections for Jesus are 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 so boiling and bubbling out of you that people are literally wondering what is in the air isn't this known from a biblical perspective as the aroma of Christ? Hey, let it, let it be said of Mission Church. Let it, let it be said of us. See, brothers and sisters, we need, we need to get this this morning, is that, that everyone on the planet is a disciple. If you're human, you are a disciple. You are also being discipled constantly. This is just a part of God's creation. You are being influenced men, uh, men, you know, mentored, taught, transformed. All of this is a part of human nature. It is constantly happening right now. You are being discipled by me. If you're looking at your phone, maybe you're being discipled by that. You're going to be discipled by what what happens uh, this afternoon. This is constantly happening within our lives. The question is not, am I a disciple? The question is, to whom or what am I being discipled by See, each of us are being discipled by every conversation we have, every news article, every commercial, every surfing of the internet. I mean, have you ever been, am I the only one that's ever been looking at anything on the internet, especially if it's on Amazon, and then you begin to notice that every page that you look at, that there's something about that, and you're like, these people are hacking me. Right? You're like waving at the, the camera on your computer believing that the big brother is watching every move. Or you've ever had this real freaky thing where you've just been thinking something and then all of a sudden it pops up on your screen? It's like they've got the mark of the beast in my wrist. I knew it. Right? I mean, you're, you're flipping out because of all of these things that are taking place. The music that we listen to most of the time, we're, we're not aware of the discipleship that is taking place within our lives, but we are being molded and shaped by influences everywhere. What we buy, what we eat, what we wear. Think about things in our culture that have now become widely accepted, but just a few years ago would have been considered Wrong right um, I teach up at Western, as many of you know. And it always gets more interesting to me every year about the def- what is the definition of clothing. Right? I mean, because I, di- I didn't graduate from Western too long ago. All right? I graduated in 2001. all right? I, 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 it's a while, all right. <laughs> But if we, if we talk, there's a huge difference, though, in what we called scantily clad girls walking around campus then and scantily clad norms that is now being worn, right? And, here, and here's the thing. I mean, it used to be like, oh, my goodness. But, but now with the, the influx, whether you like it or not, the Kardashians have greatly affected the wardrobe of many. Right? I mean, it is the cultural norm to be these ways. Now, in some ways, some things that were considered wrong that we've now adjusted to, that's, those are good things. All right? That a black man can eat wherever he wants in a restaurant, I believe that that's a good thing. Right? A woman's right to vote, I think that that's a, that's a good thing, Right? But there are also other, lots of other things within our culture that have just become so cultural norm that, that years ago you would have never have seen or, or thought as a majority as a whole. Those were the freaks and the outliers and the, and the crazy people who did those things. And yet now that is considered cultural norm and we've all just be, kind of become numb and accepting to many of those things. Now, why do so many college students have such a crisis of faith and belief when they go to college? And a lot of it has to do because of who their main influences now are. You go 18 years living with your parents under their roof. They're your influences, Right? Within two months, you go with living inside your parents' house to now living inside of a dorm room. No one's telling you to get up. No one's telling you to go to bed. You have all of this newfound freedom. You can do whatever you want. On top of that, generally speaking, you have a very liberal influence that begins to teach them in ways that within high school education, elementary and high school education, um, teachers don't let loose their real opinions a lot of times. It's very much scripted, a lot of things that are taking place, right? But then you go to a college campus and your teachers begin to use words inside the classroom that you didn't know the teachers said, right? They begin to get really graphic details about things that your anatomy teacher didn't do. You begin to have religion classes and folk study classes and women lib classes and all this sorts of stuff. And then you're in this melting pot of diversity that you, from your graduating class of 70, white folks, never experienced. And now you're plopped onto a campus where that's the minority. And they have a crisis. Why? Because they're being discipled by each other. And by this system, they're being, in, they're being enticed. And, and again, there can be some goods there. But as, as a whole, it begins to chisel away at, at individuals. It begins to disciple them. And that's why Paul reminds us in the church to the letter to the Romans in chapter 12, do not conform to the pattern of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Do not conform your life, brothers and sisters. Do not be mentored by the patterns of this world. We should look weird, we should sound strange, we should live differently. In every way, from the way that we interact with our, our, our husbands and our wives, the way that we interact with our kids, the, uh, the things that, that we do, but our affections, the way that we use our money, all, all of these things, do not, do not conform, do not be discipled by the patterns of this world, but know, know the will, the good will of God for your life, and follow after that pattern. Brothers and sisters. So your examples go, so you go. Whether you realize it or not. How many of you are at that stage, if you're kind of in midlife, um, where you'll do things, you've got kids, and you'll do and say things, and you're like to yourself, oh, I just looked or sounded like my dad and my mom. And you vow to never do that. But even your facial expressions... And you'll recognize that you're doing, I bet my face just looked like my dad's. Right? See, why? Because you were being, you're being discipled by your parents. And so your leaders go, so you go. I mean, I know of really strong biblical churches that have gone completely wayward of all things Jesus, all things gospel. Why? Because of who their leaders were who their pastors were, who their mentors were. I've known of, of people who sit in congregations like this, and they, they appear to love Jesus and love the gospel, but then they begin to listen to some quack on podcast or, or some preacher out there that they should not be listening to or some body that they knew, and it totally began to destroy and cause them to drift away. And so Paul is saying, man, don't follow ungodly examples. Be careful. Who you listen to, church. Be careful who you follow. So your leaders go, so you go. So your mentors go, so you go. And this was the illustration of Jesus to his disciples. But sin is constantly pulling us and wanting us to drift toward other teachers. See, you and I are marked by our mentors. We are. We're following them. And yet, Paul will say in 2 Thessalonians 3, 7, for you yourselves know you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you. Or 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 9, it says, it, w- it was not because we did not have the right, but to give to you ourselves as an example to imitate. The writer of Hebrews will, will later say, remember your leaders, who, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Later on, John, the disciple who will become the pastor of Ephesus after Timothy, which we're going to go through uh, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John next year, um, John will write the same group of people later on down the road, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. So at this point in the sermon, it begs the questions, Who are you following? It begs the questions, who are you imitating? It begs the questions, what is your pattern of life? Would you want your daughter, fathers, to marry a man like you? Would you want your son to be a husband like you are? Mamas, same question. You want that? Mamas, you want your son to bring home a woman like you? Because at this stage in life, you begin to notice those connections. Have you ever noticed that? There's, my, my, my wife never knew my mom until we started dating. But there are so many great qualities that I'm attracted to in my wife that I see in my mama. And I I would hope, because I know my wife's dad, Mr. Larry over here. And I would hope, because I think Larry is a great man. And I, I hope, at this stage of my life as well, if we could really dissect it, that there's some things that Laura was attracted to me because they reflected her daddy. right? But that also goes the bad way for all of us. Who you following? Who is watching your pattern? Who is watching your example? I'll never forget when um, some guys at Hope House had this crazy idea to open up this program living thing that we talk a lot about and that we love. And suckered me in. I followed them into that. And I've shook my head many a days about it. But I'll never forget one of the first men that we had who is messed up and to this day is still messed up. But once you got to learn his story about how about a nine-year-old student, a nine-year-old little kid was selling his parents drugs. No wonder. He was following the pattern set before him. He was following the example set before him. Who are you following? What example are you putting out? These are all very serious questions. I mean, brothers and sisters, and I, I want us to rejoice in, in what I'm about to ask you. And just think about them. And this week, I, here's, here's some application dump on you, all right? This week, write this person a letter. But have you ever been around a person that makes you love Jesus more? Like, they just, they just ooze Jesus They just make your affections for Jesus just shout even more. See, personally, I grew up in a Christian home but but had absolutely no clue of what it meant to follow Jesus until Richard Carwell on the campus of Western Kentucky University saw me not as an opportunity to, to spiritually add to a checklist to make him sound good, but saw me as an opportunity to spiritually multiply in my life. I did not know what it meant to be a golly man. I, I did not know what it meant to love my wife. I did not know what it, it meant to take care of my, my family and my kids and to see them as a priority until day after day, week after week, that man pursued me. Sandy uh, Carwell, his wife, before they had kids, she makes these cookies that are like this big. They would invite me over to the house at McFadden's Ferry, if you know where that's at. And I would go over to their house, and then they would love on me. They would cook for me. Sometimes to earn money, go on trips with them. They would let me do yard work in their yard. And all the while, Richard would meet with me. We would have coffee, all these sorts of things. And he taught me how to love Jesus. I'm so glad that man didn't see me as a project. But he saw me as a person created in the image of God that he wanted to share his life with and and teach me those things. And it changed my life. Do you have a person like that? Probably my favorite pastor on the planet is a man named Ray Ortland and up until last week Ray was the the pastor at Emmanuel Presbyterian Church in in Nashville and I I had the opportunity to be in a room with him I'm not just name dropping him like we're buds right like he has no idea who I am okay we've been in small settings together we we have talked all these sorts of things but 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 Ray is transitioning he's taking over listen to this, he's taking over the ministry that his mama and daddy created because Ray Ortland Sr. was a guy named John Piper's pastor. And they created a ministry and in their will they willed their ministry to their son. What a pattern. But every time, I I mean I just get you know, in, in Pentecostal church like I grew up in, we call this like the Holy Spirit goosebumps. Even talking about Ray. Like, I, I'm sitting here in just my affections because every time I'm around him, his, his, his demeanor, he, he is firm but gentle. When, when he speaks, you, you literally want to lean in. He doesn't get loud like me. He's, he's very toned. You can go YouTube Ray Ortland. He's got these blue steel eyes, and, and he is known just simply for his stare. It's like he's staring into your soul. He brought me up front at one of these meetings as one time. I was like this close to him, and he was just looking at me, and I was just like, Right? I'm in the presence of Jesus. I don't know that there's a person on the pl- I read his books. I listen to his sermons. I watch every YouTube video by this guy. I've got friends that are actual friends with Ray. And I don't think that there's a person on the planet that makes me love Jesus and the gospel any more than that man and i aspire to be more like him because he is more like jesus now all i can hope is that one day people would say that about me what can be said of us church family you now what what can be said of me what can be said of you is, is there someone in your home, at work, in your neighborhood, or, or sitting in this room right now that is saying, Jen Hazel makes me love Jesus more. Man, being around Galen makes me love Jesus more. And being, being around Carolee Stewart just, just makes me, and my heart's, affections for Jesus just just stir that I, I'm just so inspired to continue on when when I'm around this person or or that person that I, I, I when I get weak and then I get to have coffee or if I'm just in the presence and I, I'm watching I'm listening to this person how they engage their husband their wife their kids learning about their prayer life seeing their evangelism seeing them participate in ministry and when I when I get around them man I just I just love Jesus more and it gives me hope it's a tangible hope that is seen in that person when you're looking at them or when you're hearing from them that just man it's like I I can make it not on my own but Jesus is real look at this, this, this tested brother or sister in Christ and yet they remain faithful is that not a taste of what Paul is doing to Timothy man watching so and so their pattern of life their prayer life, their knowledge of the word, like I said, their ministry, all these things. Imitates Jesus, and so I want to be like them, because they are like Jesus. Church, I'm convinced that one of the reasons we culturally have moved away from gospel centrality, get this, is our lack of men and women of God to model before us the ways of Christ. Please understand, I I do not believe that this is just the role of the pastors, but disciple-making is the responsibility of everyone who is a follower of Jesus. This begins at the home, yes, but it does not end there. Where the old, wrinkly, spiritual war veterans... Men and women of God who have picked up the mantle of pouring out the rest of their days in gospel discipleship of those younger than them. One of the grievances of my life is that, that I don't have some wrinkly old pastor who's now moved on to something else to care to share with just somebody, not someone who's trying to force themselves into my life, but literally that I could just say, man, I, I, I re- so respect this person. But instead, what's taking place is we've created it where it's just professionals' jobs to make Disciples. And also within the life of the church, that it's believed by many of our older folk that that you serve the church for so long and then you get old and you've earned the right to say that's all young people's work. We've done our time. Let's die. Right? Let them serve us now. Yeah, that's not the pattern that we see in the gospel. I so am, if this is such a thing, have holy uh, jealousy toward people and, and especially fellow pastors who had those people in their lives. Like one of my, one of my, my best friends in the ministry, Jeremy Rose, Axis Church, Acts 29 down in Nashville. His relationship with Ray really is like that. He'll tell you he's his mentor, discipler. Ray calls him all these sorts of things. And I'm just like so happy for Jeremy to have that relationship, but so long for something like it. Does that, It may only make sense to a weirdo like me, right? But we need it. Where are they at? And I'm not here to beat up older generations. I, I think it's the results of following an unbiblical pattern. Does that make sense? So I'm not casting stones, I think they have simply gone the way of the culture, right? We've created that. Just go get a workbook. They sell it at LifeWay. That's all you need is a workbook. No, what you need is a heartbeat in front of you. You need the word of God and a heartbeat and someone who maybe doesn't get as boisterous as I do but can gently look at you and just say, I wouldn't do that. That's an ungodly pattern. Or, before you even confess to them their sin, that they're wise enough and have discernment enough to go, hey, hey, Michael, I, I, need, to, I need to share something with you. And, but when they say it, you so respect them and their relationship with Jesus that you easily begin to wreck you. Because they, you know that they've nailed you in love. Pray for that. Lastly, in, in closing down, and this is where a lot of people get thrown. What's the results of following godly examples? He tells us persecution. Be encouraged. Follow Jesus. Persecution's coming. And that's where the that's the crossroads for many people. Paul begins to lay out examples of how Timothy has witnessed Paul enduring suffering. I don't have time now to go into it in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. I mean, I've got all so- sorts of good stuff that will not be said. You'll just have to wonder all day until you take a nap and forget everything I've said. But he watches this pattern. But I can't leave without saying this. Notice what Paul says, brothers and sisters. Which persecutions I endured yet from all from them, all the Lord rescue me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Brothers and sisters, if you're sitting here today, you should not be surprised when troubles come for following Jesus. If you're sitting here today and you're wondering why you don't have people coming against you, that is cause to be surprised. I'm not talking about suffering for sickness. There's a place and time for those to talk about this, that in the scripture. But this scripture is about persecutions, not because you're a jerk, not because I'm a jerk, but because you are being faithful to the cause of Christ. That is the pattern of Christianity. Disobedient, uninvolved, unre- un- weak churchgoers are not persecuted. But those who make disciples and, and desire to live godly and are faithful to that, they will be. Who's trying to destroy you and your character right now because you follow Jesus? Where is the ridicule toward you? Where, where are the threats being made toward you? Where is the slander toward you? Apathetic, lazy, comfortable with the status quo Christianity is not Christianity. If you are faithfully following Jesus, someone is hating you for it right now. It's inevitable. And and Paul is saying, look, Timothy, I'm enduring suffering. Look at what's happened to me. But these things are going to happen to you if you are faithful, Timothy. So remain faithful. Faithful. It's interesting that he said that he endured all these things and yet Jesus rescued him from them. Yet he was still stoned. Yet he was still probably drugged behind a chariot and left for dead. He was shipwrecked. He was bitten by a snake. All these terrible things happened to Paul. Why? Because he preached. And there's now this this guy, as as Paul is waiting to be killed for the gospel, we were reminded that that Jesus discipled from a cross. And, And Paul discipled with his head on the chopping block. That's where he's writing this letter. He's in prison, waiting to be executed for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the pattern of Christianity. You can't skip this part. If you're going to be faithful, the enemy will come after you. And so Paul is saying to this young Timothy, you probably, hopefully, still got lots of life, but yet people are coming against him. Don't give up. Suffer well. Suffer like Jesus and so discipleship takes place on a cross. Discipleship takes place when they're about to cut off your head and the question is will you be faithful? Anybody know how Timothy dies? The Bible doesn't tell us but church history tells us and I'm so thankful for this. Timothy stayed the course. Fox's book of Martyr tells us that in 97 AD Timothy is still in Ephesus and there was this whole pagan like celebration going on and he tried to shut it down and calm him down long enough for him to preach the gospel and they stoned him to death. stoned him to death. And yet the pattern continues. The example continues. The life continues. Who are you following? Who's following you? What's the pattern of life? Who are you mentoring? Who are you discipling? All questions from the text, and yet there is hope. We will be rescued either in this life or Jesus when he returns to his glory and he says, well done my good and faithful servant.